0: Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Uh, welcome. Uh, we are in our last of our series on resilience, reimagining resilience, how the cross strengthens and shapes us. And um, after today, we go into our little mini summer series uh, in the book of Proverbs. Uh, Called "What Is Wise," and um, and then after that, I know. See, there we go. Um, And after that, I'm super excited because then we dive into the Book of Hebrews, um, and we'll be doing that all the way through Easter. Um, So super excited uh, to be kind of sitting in a a deep, heavy book um, that makes much of Jesus. We talked about our definition of resilience. And uh, we've said over the last seven weeks that resilience is the ability to joyfully adapt, recover, and re-engage quickly uh, without distorting your view of yourself, of God, or His people. And this morning, we're talking about the last in our series, we're talking about purpose. Purpose is incredibly powerful, because purpose is one of those um, kind of things that affects resilience, The more resilient we are, the more we can give ourselves to a sense of purpose, but the greater our sense of purpose, the more resilient we can become. And I think of purpose, I think of the idea of of working out and how much easier it is to work out when you have a goal. Um, So for those of you that run, you want to complete a marathon. For those of you that lift weights, you want to make uh, do you know personal record? Those of you who do CrossFit, you want to beat your time. Those of you like me that are old, you want to be able to fit into your wetsuit in the summer. And so, you know, we have different purposes for working out. So, the other day, Kiana came to borrow some, some equipment, some snorkeling equipment, and so we looked, you know, in the, in the winter, we have our winter stuff, so we, we needed to go and find that, and find my wetsuit, and all those kinds of things, and you know what I didn't find in there was my summer bod. Someone had stolen my summer bod, you know? I know. You don't need to look that disgusted, Sam, you know what I mean? It's like... I did at one stage have a summer bod, you know. (laughs) Regardless of what your purpose is, what, what purpose does is actually focus all of our energies on the goal that we have. And if we are a people that have been rescued by Jesus and shaped by Jesus, then we'll be a people that will be able to handle suffering and trial. We'll be a people that are emotionally aware and mature. We'll be a people that are committed to community, not because it benefits us, but because of what we can bring to that community. And we'll be a people ultimately that act not like slaves, but like deeply loved children that engage in a purpose that will outlive us and the rest of humanity. When David and Christy got pregnant, I said to David, what does it feel like? To partner with, there he is. He just walked in, right? There we go. Literally. How about that for timing? You know what I mean? Welcome. We kept your seats right here, you know. (laughs) May that be a lesson to all of you, you know. I, I said to David, what does it feel like to partner with God in the creation of an eternal being? What does that feel like? And I mean, being a songwriter and a poet, he was like, oh, that's, that's pretty good. You know, I'm going to use that. But I think part of the challenge is that even though it's poetic, it's, it's actually more weighty than it is poetic. The reality is, is I don't know that we believe that all the time. I don't know that we live like that all the time. I don't know that we see other people like that all the time. I don't know that we make decisions with the reality that, that this life on earth is but a brief burp in eternity. And the reality is is that what we do now actually sets us up for what will be the most glorious and profound thing that we will experience for eternity, as Karin brought our attention to. C.S. Lewis says that there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Last week, we talked about the fact that we are eternal embodied beings, and that we need to understand that we are surrounded by eternal beings, that ourselves, we also have an eternal purpose, and the reality is they can also have an eternal purpose. And this eternal purpose that we join Jesus with starts while we are on earth. And so the reality of what I want to talk about this morning is that our purpose, the main purpose, is for us to be with Jesus. And we've spoken about that consistently throughout our reimagined resilience. However, our purpose to be with Jesus doesn't just stop there, because being with Jesus automatically changes our nature, it changes our desire, and it changes our behavior so that we join Jesus in the restoration of all things. So we're going to pick up in Matthew We're going to look at Matthew 4 and 5, not not the entire chapter, but we're going to start with Matthew 4, where Jesus calls his disciples, and I'm going to read out of the Common English Bible. As Jesus walked along the Galilean Sea, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, throwing fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen. Come follow me, he said, and I'll show you how to fish for people. Right away they left their nets and followed him. Continuing on, he saw another set of brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, repairing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father, and they followed him. Jesus traveled throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and he announced the good news of the kingdom and healed every disease and sickness among the people. So we carry on in Matthew chapter 5, the next portion is what's known as the Sermon on the Mount or the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And Jesus preaches. And then immediately after that, Jesus speaks to his disciples in 5.13. And he says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing except to be thrown away and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. The city on top of a hill can't be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on top of a lampstand, and it shines on all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before people so that they can see the good things you do and praise your Father who is in heaven. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that this is not uh, the thoughts of men, but this is your revelation to us. Thank you that your spirit is active as your word is spoken, and I pray that we would be open to what it looks like to align ourselves to your word. I want to pray that you would help me to be faithful to it, and I pray that you would help our family to be responsive to it in Jesus' name. Those passages tell us two main things. They tell us that we are a message and we have a message because salt and light is something Jesus says we are, and fishing is something that we do. Now salt is, one of my nicknames when I was growing up was Salty, or Salty Cracks, Um, and uh, and so I'm very familiar with that, I know. It's a cracker in South Africa, so they used to call me Salty Cracks, (laughs) you know, anyway. That was a mistake. So. We are very familiar with salt. It's actually one of the cheapest things we can buy, Um, and yet, in the days in which Jesus was speaking, it was very, very expensive. It was sought after. In fact, if you couldn't pay your taxes uh, with coins, you could pay with salt, and also, uh, the Roman government at one stage started paying their soldiers in salt, and uh, that's where the word salary comes from. And so, one of the things that we've recognized when Jesus talks about it is how absolutely, um, you're not well, how sought after salt was. And the fact that he would call his disciples salt is something that they would understand, not the way that we understand it now as just kind of very generic and everywhere, but something that was unique. And now most of us that have been in the church have heard the fact that we are called salt, and most of us have heard the reality that um, salt flavors and preserves. And those are the two things that we are the most familiar with when it comes to salt, and, and that is true. Salt does draw out the flavors. I mean, how can you have french fries without salt, right? I mean, how can you have eggs without salt? It tastes a little snotty, let's be honest, right? I mean, if you don't salt <laughs> salt an egg. And what it does is it draws out and it enhances the flavors. But the, the cool thing about salt is that it also, what it does is there, there are competing flavors. So salted caramel, right? I mean, right? That's pretty good. How about salted watermelon? If you haven't tried it, yeah, it's, it's very good. And so we are to draw out, what Jesus is saying is we are to draw out the blessings of common grace because there are things in this world that are worth enhancing. When we think about people's thirst for justice, their desire to love and to be loved, people's ability to innovate and create. Not everything in this world is something that we need to separate ourselves from, but there are certain things that that we can enhance. However, there is also the other aspect of salt, and that is to stop things from decaying. Uh, That there are things that we need to preserve. One of my favorite things to do is to put a uh, charcuterie board together. One of my favorite meats is prosciutto, which is raw meat that has been preserved in salt and other spices. Um, And and it's preserved in the sense that salt is put on it so that bacteria can't get into the meat, um, which will actually lead to, well, I guess, sickness and death. But, um, (laughs) I mean, you know. But what we're creating when we salt something is we are creating an environment that is inhospitable to that bacteria. Now, this is the problem. If something is already rotten, You can't just add salt to it and make it good. What what we're doing is we're actually preserving the good that is in something. So we can't just say that something that is by nature evil or wrong, because the Bible tells us, don't call what is good evil and what is evil good. So we can't just add salt on something, and we can't just be present in doing something and believe that because of our presence, what is actually happening is good. No, some things are rotten. And it doesn't matter how much salt you add, it's just a rotten piece of meat now with added salt, okay? Um, We'll talk more about this on the third thing that we don't like to talk about, which is the fact that salt actually destroys as well. The other thing that people would have been familiar with in those days is the idea that salt was a sacrifice. So not only was salt something that you brought and sacrificed to God, but salt was also sprinkled on sacrifices. And what Jesus is saying is, He's mentioned multiple times the fact that we are to lose our lives if we are to gain it, we are to carry our cross, that our life does not belong to us because we've been purchased with a price. And there's a sense in which with salt, we as the people of God are not only those that enhance and those that preserve, but we're also those that sacrifice our lives so that others can understand what the God of this universe is like. A third one is probably one you haven't heard a whole lot about, which is the fact that salt destroys. There are more scriptures in the Bible that speak about salt as a judgment in the New Testament and the Old Testament that speak about salt as a blessing. Uh, We know about Lot's wife being turned into a pillar of salt. We also know that there was the Valley of Salt where nothing grew, Um, and we also know in Near East history That when armies would come through and that they would punish and bring a judgment on the people that they were oppressing by salting their land. And they would salt this land as a sign of conquest because they would subjugate the enemy and and they would not be able to grow the things that they needed to grow to become strong and to be able to fight against them. Uh, This is a strategy that's been used in the Civil War in the United States. It's a strategy that's been used in World War II, not necessarily with salt, but it's called the scorched earth policy. So in World War, when the Russians, uh, when the Germans retreated from Russia, they they scorched everything. They killed every cow. They scorched all the um, uh, all the wheat and everything that was there and made it uninhabitable. It also contributed to the massive famine um, in Russia. And so the people would have been aware of what was happening. The idea of us being a people that would destroy doesn't—it doesn't sound nice. It sounds nice for us being a people that preserve and flavor. That sounds nice, but the idea that we are to destroy—well, what are we to destroy? And I believe, like God said to Jeremiah, "I've I've put my words in your mouth so that you would tear down and build up." And some of the things that we um, encounter in our world are not things that are worth preserving not things that are worth enhancing, but things that actually need to be torn down uh, because they raise themselves up against the knowledge of God. And so one of the things that we need to recognize that when Jesus calls us salt and light, one of the things that we are to do is to destroy the works of darkness, that we as a people are scattered at soul, as, as salt, and we are those that are judging evil, destroying wickedness, preventing lust, greed, murder, or injustice, from taking root. So as you kind of ruminate on that, we're going to shift over to light. So now we've, we've talked about the beginning, what is our purpose? Jesus tells us that we are salt, we are light, and that we do fish, and now we're moving on to light. God's first words, let there be light. And so most of our understanding when it comes to light is the opposite of darkness. Uh, But this is profound for me. As I was sitting there and I was thinking about this, when God said, let this be light, let there be light, he didn't just enable us to see what he had created, but light is the source of life and the vehicle through which we can actually view that life. It's profound where God says, let there be light, and then everything else is created and needs light to be able to function. And the tragedy is when people are accustomed to darkness... Light can be very unwelcomed and even painful. You see people come out of a very dark situation. What is the first thing that they do? They kind of shade their eyes because that light is too penetrating and it actually hurts. Um, I remember watching a, um, a documentary on a bunch of miners that had been stuck underground. And one of the things that the rescuers did is they said, we have to make sure that we get them sunglasses so that when they come out, they can adjust to the light that's actually going to be quite painful for them. Part of the challenge is that when people are in darkness, light can be quite an unwelcome thing. When people are in darkness, no one wants to hear that they are sinners. No one wants to hear that there'll be a judgment. But the reality is is that those things are true. That is, the bad news. The good news is you don't have to live in darkness. That's what Jesus consistently said. Um, he spoke about the prophecy is that people have dwelt in darkness, have seen a great light. He's talking about himself. And so the reality is there is the bad news and the good news where, where some people do not like to be told that they are in darkness because it seems oppressive. It's even hateful sometimes for people to receive that. And that's what we tend to think. And that's sometimes why we don't operate in the purpose that God has given us. You know the, uh, the, the phrase... Uh, let's throw some light on the situation. Um, What that means is let's expose what we can see so that we can solve this problem. Jesus calls us the light of the world. That means that when we are present, darkness has to flee. It's an amazing thing for me to think that just my presence means that darkness is being pushed back. I don't even have to say or do anything, but just my presence means that darkness is being pushed back. When Jesus says we are the light of the world, we can help people see what is hidden. And so in darkness, there are things that are present that you can't see. We can also help people walk with confidence and security because we are the light of the world. Have you guys seen people walk around in the dark? Like, do they walk confidently and stride forward like this? No, no. how do they walk around? Like this, right? And then walk around like this. The other day I was walking around like this because my wife says, why do you have to turn on every single light? You know, and I said, fine, I'll try not to turn on every single light. So, well, that's when you need the light. You know, if it wasn't dark, you wouldn't need the light. And I'm walking like this with my hands out. Why do we crouch in the dark? I don't know but we are crouching when we're walking. And what I'm not realizing is that when you walk in the dark, you should be doing this, right? Not just like this. And the door was open, and so my hands go on either side of the door, and I'm walking like this, bang! Then I said some bad words and switched the light on. You know what I mean? So I said, would you rather have the noise or the light? When we are the light of the world, we help others walk confidently and with security. Andrew Wilson says this, Evil has no existence of its own any more than darkness does. It is merely the absence of something good. It's like a shadow or a hole in your sock. So when the light of God's goodness shines, there is no negotiation. There is no tug of war or struggle with the powers of darkness. Evil flees. Falsehood is driven out by the light of truth. Death is banished by the light of love, of life. That's a powerful thing. And that's not something we have to work at. That's something we are. That our presence actually makes darkness flee. Now, there is this passive presence that the fact that we are the people of God and we have the Spirit of God in, in us means automatically that darkness flees. But there's, there's also this active sense of being the light of the world, where Paul talks to the Ephesian church, and he says, and don't participate in the unfruitful actions of darkness. Instead, you should reveal the truth about them. So he's saying not only should you be light in the sense of your very presence, but you need to help people see that that is darkness. It's embarrassing even to talk about what certain persons do in secret. Another translation says what they do in the night. But everything exposed to the light is revealed by the light. Everything that is revealed by the light is light. Therefore, it says, wake up, sleeper. Get up from the dead and Christ will shine on you. We tend to think in absolutes when it comes to darkness and light. And that's true. There are absolutes. Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's no way to the Father except through him. The only way that we can come to the Father is to accept Jesus' free gift of grace, and the way that we accept that free gift of grace is repenting of our own autonomy and sin. When we submit to Him as Lord and not just Savior, then we are those that are light and salt and can choose to be fishermen. Once that light has shone on us, then we enter a different aspect of the beauty of light, and uh, I hadn't thought about this, because I'd always thought about light and dark, just the, the massive contrast between light and dark. But Then I thought the other day of like, you know this beautiful when, when you're at a pond and the pond is just completely still and the light is, is just shining off that pond and you're looking at that and like, that is glorious. When you're sitting at the beach and the light just dazzles on the wave. Well, those of you that are photographers, what, what, is, um, what is golden hour? Sunset. Sunset. Sunrise. Those are are aspects of light that aren't necessarily light and dark, but just different degrees of light that bring out the beauty and creativity in what is already there. The light doesn't make it there. It's already there. But the light changes your experience of what you're seeing. And so, as the people of God, not only are we pushing away the evil of darkness, but we're helping people see the beauty of what God has created. Not just in terms of his creation with regards to mountains and seas, but in terms of humanity. The way we lead our family, the way we love our kids, the way we are generous, the way we go through suffering without becoming embittered, the way we respond to difficult circumstances the way we treat people that can't do anything for us, the way we respond when we are ill-treated, all those are examples of the light that kind of flashes on a wave where people look at them and say, wow, that's amazing, that's incredible. How do you do that? And we respond by saying, we don't do it. We are the light of God. We are salt in this world. And we have the Spirit of God in us because of the grace of God that enables us to do those things. And not all the time. Fishing. It's kind of a bit of a, what? Salt, light, and fishing? <laughs> Jesus says, come follow me and I'll show you how to fish for people. Can, can I just say, in the beginning of the Scripture, it says they were throwing their fishing nets into the sea because they were fishermen. Do we need that clarity? Like, why else? Anyway. Um, And then he says that he called others, and they immediately left their boat and their father, and they followed him. I've often looked at that and thought, Jesus never said, come and I will teach you the secrets of eternal life. He said in this moment to people who were fishing, come and I will make you fishers of men. And he did that for a number of reasons. One, because they were fishermen, and so they understood what that would mean. But secondly, because fishing is not something that you are, it's something that you actively participate in. And so there's a sense in which Jesus didn't say to them, come and sit down, write this exam about eternity and about who you think I am, Once you're qualified and understand that, then you can join me on this mission of preaching the kingdom of God. This is not the way to put a good team together. I'm I'm just saying. The natural and expected outcome of being with Jesus is, and I will teach you, and I will make you. Come and be with me, come and follow me, and I will teach you, and I will make you. He's not inviting them first to a sense of experiencing personal salvation. He's not inviting them, even in a sense, to understand the kingdom of God. He's saying, come and be with me. And once you are with me, the changes that you experience because of your intimate fellowship with me will turn you into salt and light, and you will become fishes of men. Follow me, and you will experience a life that you cannot imagine or control, is what he should have said. Because then they go off, and then the disciples, as you know, are in this mess of like, what is he doing? Why is he doing this? Who is going to ask him? Because the last person that asked him kind of got a bit of a lesson. He's inviting them to apprentice while they know nothing about what they're doing. Now, there's not a lot of people like that. I'm someone like that. I'm like, I've never done that, but I'll give that a shot. How hard can it be, right? But a lot of us are like, well, before I do something, I need to know exactly if I'm doing it right. And Jesus doesn't invite his disciples into that. He's basically saying, come be with me. And as you are being, you will see me doing and you will do the same things. I watched this uh, TV show called Alone. How many of you have watched that, right? And um, it is, it, it's incredible. They, they basically drop um, these men and women into the middle of nowhere, and they have to... Um, They have to record and document themselves. There is literally no one there. Uh, They do weekly medical checks, and the doctors that come and do their medical checks, they don't even talk to them. They take their blood pressure, they weigh them, because if they lose more than 30% of their body weight, they're automatically out. It's, It's an amazing show. One of the things that is amazing about, yeah, it's like, can I survive without people? Can I survive without food? It is amazing to see the kind of emotions that they have when they're fishing. <laughs> Do you know why? Their life literally is depending on whether they get a fish. They've gone 14 days without food. They're eating blueberries. This guy catches a fish, and at first he lets out this guttural roar, like, you know, like, like he's possessed by some kind of bear, and then immediately after that starts weeping like a child. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is so very different to the way I've gone fishing before. So very different. It's like, hey, you want to go fishing? Sure. Make sure we bring food. Make sure we bring drinks. Make sure we bring chairs. We throw it in there. Okay. Great. What happens if we don't catch anything? Nothing. we got plenty of food. we got plenty of drink. We've got our buddies here. It it amazes me the different kinds of fishing. I I did some research on this. You're like, why are we talking about, because I did some research on this. It's one of the most (laughs) dangerous jobs you can have. Commercial fishermen die regularly. And and at the same time, it's one of the things we do for recreation. Hey, you wanna go fishing? Sure, let's go have some fun. The thing about fishing when your life depends upon it is that it is active. It's costly, it's uncomfortable, it's inconvenient, and it's dangerous. And yet, at the same time, fishing can be passive and recreational and comfortable and done with your buddies. The only difference between the deep-sea commercial fishing and the fishing that we do for... The the only similarity, rather, between the deep-sea commercial fishing and the fishing that we do recreationally is that there is intentionality there is this sense of like, I want to go fishing and I'm preparing myself to do that. Now, yes, it's a, it's a different kind of preparation, you know? You're not leaving your family for three to four months, and you're not gonna be on this boat, like me and Sean when we went fishing, puking our guts out, <laughs> wondering why we were doing this, and deeply grateful that our family sustenance did not depend on our success. <laughs> deeply, deeply grateful. But I wanna say this, I think what's happened in the past when we've looked at the idea of fishing, when we've looked at the idea of sharing our faith, when we've looked at the idea of, of helping people understand that this temporal life is not all that there is to live for, is I think one of the things that we've done potentially is we have judged the way other people fish. And so you aren't actually fishing unless you're risking your life on a commercial boat puking over the side, um, potentially getting uh, damaged by all these crates that are landing on you, that's how you fish. Or the people that do that then look down on those of us that gather a group of friends and say, hey, we're going to spend Saturday afternoon and we're going to be fishing. I hope you're making the connection, because some of us are actually really bold when it comes to the proclamation of our faith. And if you want to look at it this way, some of us are those commercial fishermen. Some of us are, 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 in any context and in any situation, we are those that can say, this is what the gospel means. This is what it means to be saved. This is what eternity without Jesus can look like. And others of us are actually more skilled at throwing out the line with a group of friends and talking and engaging with each other and seeing whether we, we get a bite. Does that make sense? The thing that we have to come to terms with is that it is something that we are called to do. So I'm not saying you have to be a commercial fisherman. I'm not even saying you need to be a recreational fisherman alone. What I am saying is you have to be a fisherman. Why? Because one of the things that we know and understand is that that is what our purpose is. We are salt and we are light and we are those that are proclaimers of the kingdom. In Mercy Commons we talk about the four pillars of Mercy Commons. The four pillars of Mercy Commons is that we revel in the mercy of God. Reveling in the mercy of God is the idea that the way in which we worship God is salt and light. It's something that we are. The way in which we pray, the way in which we, we engage in our spiritual activities, the way in which we gather together, that we proclaim, that is fishing, that we display, the way in which we live, that is salt and light, and that we participate in acts of mercy for the common good of those around us. That is what Jesus was talking about right at the beginning when he spoke to the disciples. And then he said that you, that, that your Father in heaven, will get the credit because of what you do here on earth in terms of good works. So then why don't we do it? If salt is something that we automatically are and light is something that we automatically are and God Jesus has called us to be fishers of men, then why don't we do it? I would suggest the reason that we don't do it is because we're forgetful. Um, And that doesn't mean that we've forgotten necessarily the fact that we have been rescued by grace, but we have forgotten the emotional connection that we had to that, the joy of my salvation. I know for many of us in, in the room Uh, when we came to faith, it wasn't necessarily the sense of darkness to light. I know that for many in this room that grew up in, in Christian homes, potentially went to Christian schools, there was more kind of the spectrum of light that became brighter and brighter, rather than the sense of darkness to light. That doesn't matter. The reality is, is that One of the things that we need to rehearse, and one of the reasons why attending gatherings is important, is to understand the joy of what we live in. The fact that I've been rescued, the fact that I've been pursued, the fact that no matter what I've done or will ever do, nothing will separate me from the love of God. The fact that the Spirit of God lives inside me and it cries out, Abba Father, the fact that I've been adopted into His family, that regardless of what I'm going through on this planet, it is shaping me to be a better disciple of Jesus Christ. And I think sometimes we forget that reality. I think also we forget the reality that we are eternal beings because we are pummeled with a temporary. Um, even this morning, there's, there's a get a letter in the mail and, and, and I'm sitting outside saying, God, please help the eternal to break through the temporal right now. Please help me not to focus on this But help me to focus on what you've called me to do, which is to be salt and light and to be a fisher of men. We forget that the people that we interact with, like I said at began with, the people that we interact with are eternal beings, made in the image of God, that we have an opportunity to be salt and light to, we have an opportunity to bring them into the kingdom by fishing. We're forgetful. We're also frail and frightened. I mean, I know that there are times where I've been hurt by my attempts to proclaim and to demonstrate, where people have either laughed at me or derided me or judged my actions or words unfairly. I know that sometimes the fear of man paralyzes me. The fear of man paralyzes me, but also the fear of my broader friend group. What are they going to think if I share my deep convictions? What is going to happen? The fear of not getting it right, of not having the right answer when someone asks that kind of question. I well, remember right at the beginning I talked about a summer bod? So like walking is at least better than lying on the couch? At least opening our mouths and being able to declare the hope that is within us is at least lying on the couch. I mean, sorry, it's at least walking, not lying on the couch. Thanks, Brittany. I did get that completely wrong. All God is asking us to do is to place ourselves in a situation where we can salt the world, where we can be light to the world, and to take opportunities to be able to fish. A simple, simple thing. An invitation to come to church. If you don't know what else to do, just invite someone to come and be part of this body. Because you know what you have here? You have personalities that are different to yours You have people that are different to yours. If you're an introvert, there are extroverts here. If you're an extrovert, there are introverts that aren't going to scare this person off. But there's also the reality of what we do on a Sunday morning is creating a context for connection with God. Creating a context where God can tangibly meet with His people, sons and daughters, but can also tangibly meet with those that are yet to become sons and daughters. This is an opportunity that we can use. We're also frightened, especially in this politically charged environment, that we'll be labeled as some kind of small-minded bigot. Perfect love casts out fear. If you are sharing the gospel with someone out of deep love and devotion for that person, then the reality is, is whatever you are accused of is going to fall to the ground because your motive is a motive of love. Not a motive of actually saying, I've done it, I've checked this off the list, but of actually, I understand your value as an eternal being, as an image bearer of God, and that you will only be fully human, and you will only come into your destiny once you understand what it's like to be in relationship with Jesus. I think the third thing, so we're forgetful, we're frightened. I think the third thing is we're, we're afraid of the friend zone. Now, most men in this room are aware of what the friend zone is. There are very few women that get stuck in the friend zone. It's mostly men that get stuck in the friend zone. The friend zone is when a young boy becomes friends with a young girl, hoping that the young girl will eventually understand what an awesome and amazing guy this guy is. And then what happens after a period of time is he gets stuck in the friend zone. And what happens is she begins to share about all of her relationship issues with the friend because he's such a good friend, right? I know none of you men have had this experience. I'm not asking you to put your hand up if you've been stuck in the friend zone. Um, But this this is part of the problem that I find in my relationships with people is that I've developed good friendships with people that are not yet believers of Jesus. And I'm afraid that if I take that step, and actually challenge them with the truths of the gospel that that friendship will end. And part of what's happened, I know in my life, part of what's happened is I've realized, man, I'm stuck in this friend zone. I'm actually more worried about maintaining this friendship than where that person is going to spend eternity. And when we recognize that, then we realize that the most loving thing we can do and the better friend that we can be is to actually take that step. I'm not ending that friendship. That person is choosing to end that friendship if they choose to end that friendship. But that's also part of the reason that we aren't good fishermen. We forget, we're afraid, we get friend-zoned. And finally, this is the truth, is our lives are just too frenetic. There are so many things that we feel compelled to do when ultimately we realize that we're doing them out of choice. There are so many things that we have to do, though, We have to feed our children. We have to go to work. There are all the responsibilities that are connected with that. And what I'm asking you to do is not to think of another program, not to add something extra into your life, but to say, God, where in my life am I able to include people in what I already do so that I can be salt salt and light to them, and then maybe I'll have the opportunity to be a fisherman. Eric isn't here, but Eric does a bike ride uh, on Mondays, and he is constantly inviting people to that bike ride on Mondays. And then at the end of his bike ride, they meet at a Starbucks, and they do a, a little devotional. He's not adding anything extra to his life. He likes bike riding. It's what he does. He's just being intentional with his hobbies. All of us have hobbies that we can invite other people into. Most of us are involved in some kind of sporting stuff. Well, what would it be like to ask some deep questions with the people that you share three months of your life with? I don't know why, but every time someone sat next to Karen and she would come and say, I don't know why this is happening, people would share deep stuff with her. I think it's a gift, but also it's an opportunity for her to say, man, I don't know how to solve this problem, but I do know someone who can. Those are our opportunities. Ben, you can come up. As we've gone through the series on resilience, we've talked about the fact that resilience is not this idea of suck it up, buttercup, try harder, that it is about abiding with Jesus, uh, that it is the cross that strengthens and shapes us. We've seen how failures and suffering build our resilience, we've seen how Jesus wants us to be emotionally aware so that even our emotions can be brought um, to him and so that he can either help us deal with those emotions or help us understand why those emotions are not helpful in those contexts. The fact that we are part of a community, and the fact that we are called to care for one another and for ourselves. But the greatest thing that will help us to be resilient disciples of Jesus is to understand that we are here for a purpose. And I know that for a lot of us, it's difficult. Because even now, I know that you guys are thinking about that project at work. Even now, you guys are thinking, oh, shoot, I forgot about this thing my kids need to be at on Monday. Even now, there are so many thoughts that are swirling through your minds. I just want to take a couple of seconds, and I just want to read some scriptures over you And I just want us to worship and then respond to what the Spirit is saying. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. God said, let light shine out of darkness. And He has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Jesus spoke to the people again, and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, I want to thank you that you called us into intimate Tangible apprenticeship with you. I want to thank you that you removed every barrier to that relationship. I want to thank you that being with you transforms us into salt, transforms us into light, and that being with you makes us want to be fishermen. I want to pray, God, that just as we sit in silence for 30 seconds, that you would show us whether we just need a reminder of the joy of our salvation. Spirit, that you would remind us that once we were not a people, but now we are a people. Once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special people. And because of that, we've been commissioned to speak of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. I want to pray that you would give courage to us, those of us that have been hurt, those of us that are fearful those of us that maybe haven't opened our mouth in many years about our Savior, God, I want to pray that you would give us courage. And I also pray, my God, that you would give us godly wisdom,
1: that you would give us strategy about when and who and
0: how. God, most of all, I pray that you would remind us that we are light that is what you've made us, you have transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the Son you love. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ.
2: join me up here. We are a, uh, we're a body uh, that believes that God speaks to us most clearly and thoroughly uh, through his word, Um, but we also believe that God moves through the gifts of the spirit and sometimes nudges us to share uh, a a verse, uh, a sense, Um, and Amanda had something a little bit earlier, and then I'm going to, I'm going to let her share, and then I'll give us some direction into communion.
1: Hi, Um, so I first want to share a few verses that I'd been thinking about this week, and then um, go from there. So in Romans 12, 6 to 8, it talks, it says, Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. And um, actually, when I was before service, I didn't know that this was what Nick was preaching about, but I got the sense that there are people here, including myself, who struggle to receive what God has given us for ourselves. And it's hard to walk in something if we haven't received it. And what had stood out was that it's gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Um, I'll be brief, but this past week, I had this weird interaction where, um, yeah, it was just this weird interaction with a guy, and I was unpacking it later with the Lord, and I felt like the Lord told me, hey, when you walked into the room, he noticed something was different about you, but he doesn't know me, so he didn't know that it was me in you. And because you, Amanda, haven't accepted the beauty I've given you, that makes it hard to walk in that. Um, And yeah, I would just love afterwards to pray for people who also struggle with maybe receiving the gifts that God has given them, whether they've been misunderstood or they've been rejected because of that, or they're just like, I don't know what to do with this. This is overwhelming. Um, I'm there, and God is gracious, but he's gifted every single one of us with different gifts in the body to build up the body and to advance the kingdom.
2: So if uh, if that word resonates with you, Amanda's going to be here to, to my left and to your right. Um, but I also want to give opportunity for anyone else that feels like maybe they struggle to receive. That's something that Amanda had said that really resonated with me, is that maybe there's people here that are, have a hard time receiving. And what Nick preached about, there's the light is on. Uh, we get to come to a table where it is finished. Um, so if you have hard time receiving the grace of God in some way, uh, whether it's the gifting that God's given you, or maybe it's something that you're struggling with. This table, what we're going to take part in, is a finished, settled reality. The light is on. Uh, it has been. Uh, it has been dealt with. Darkness is dealt with. We can come to this table uh, with freedom. And so, I want to invite. If you, uh, if you're someone who uh, is released to pray for people here, I want to invite you to to my left and to your right, and I want you to grab the, if that's you and you feel like you need prayer for that, I want you to grab the elements and take the elements together with with the folks that are going to be over there to to pray for you. For the rest of us, I want us to go ahead and grab the elements, come back, and then we'll take take together. Uh, This table is uh, often called a table of remembrance, and one of the things that Nick uh, shared with us this morning is the idea of remembering and uh, the remember the central purpose of life beyond kind of the purpose that, that, that we wake up and chase. I mean, purpose, people talk a lot about that, right? But what Nick has shared with us is there's a bigger purpose behind all those other purposes and it's represented in the elements that we hold, that there is a God who loves us and has pursued us and has invited us to follow him. As he is continuing to pursue others, what a what an amazing kind of gift that is to be invited in. And as Nick shared this verse, let let light shine, uh, let light shine out of darkness. It, for he has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. In Jesus's face, we get to come to this table and look him in the face. And we get to see this this purpose that's behind this purpose. So I just want to pause just for a moment before we take the elements to remember. To remember that Jesus has pursued you and has lifted your head and desires to look you in the face. So that we can take this together, looking him in the face. So just pause for a moment and remember. Lord, we remember that you, your body was broken for us and we do this in remembrance of you. And Lord, we also take the cup that represents the shedding of your blood for the forgiveness of all sin. And Lord, we pause and we ask, I ask myself and I'm sure my brothers and sisters are, are in a similar place. We ask that you, in a sense, recommission us, re-remind us that we get to follow you and that you desire to make us fishers of men. We do this in remembrance of you. The band is gonna continue to play. Um, I wanna invite you, if you feel like you need uh, just a, a refreshment uh, a sense of creativity, uh, courage, again, to, to follow. I want to I encourage you to receive prayer before you, before you leave. Uh, prayer is always free. It's always a good thing to get, to get prayer. Um, for the rest of us, we're going to be gathering out back. We'd love to meet you if we've not met you before. Uh, you can go pick up your kids, and we're going officially, to uh, officially close. We, uh, we love you. Go out there and be the church.